Romans 15, 1 through 7. Reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Well, good morning. Glad you are here, clothed and in your right minds. It's wonderful. So you're at a restaurant and uh, you're enjoying a nice evening out, a nice meal, and um, you notice that the person at the table next to you all of a sudden starts choking. And, and you get up and you, you run over there. You're going to put the old Heimlich maneuver on the person to, to save their life. But, the, but you stop because the thought comes in your mind, if I do this wrong, if I, if I injure him, you know, maybe I could get sued. Or you're driving down a road, a, an accident happens in front of you, you, you pull off, the, the car is tumbled over, a person driving there can't get out, you, you get out of your car, you rush to this person, and, but before you, you assist them to pull them out, you stop, you hesitate, because what if he's injured, and what, what if I injured him more, and what, what if there's a lawsuit in this, and you, you hesitate? Now, fortunately, throughout our country, there are laws called the Good Samaritan Laws, laws that um, are enacted that and people who in good faith are assisting others in an emergency will not get sued. And it's designed to um, encourage people to be involved and to help and not worry about lawsuits. And of course, it's based on that well-known uh, parable that Jesus uh, gave called the Good Samaritan. And just for a moment, and by way of introduction this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to that passage. It's found in Luke chapter 10. In fact, Luke is the only uh, gospel writer who records this, um, this account, this uh, Good Samaritan story. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 begins and says um, that a lawyer stood up and put him to a test. And this is a, a legal scholar of Judaism, an Old Testament legal scholar. It puts Jesus to the test and says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what is what's written in the law? You know, you're the lawyer. What's the law say? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and live. Verse 29 is kind of an interesting response because he says, and wishing to, be, to justify himself, not sure what was going on in his mind. He certainly was a man who 
prided himself that he probably was a great law keeper. He was a squeaky clean, you know, religious fanatic. And yet there must have been something nagging at his heart. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what the law says? Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Do this and you will live. Well, he asks the question, though, in verse 29, seeking to justify himself, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus goes at this point and tells that parable of the Good Samaritan. He replied, verse 30, and says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. If you've ever been on one of our um, Israel tours over the years, you probably remember the Judean wilderness, uh, this 17-mile road that went from the height of the Jerusalem area, which was on more of a... Uh, um, the, the hills, and it's a 17, 18-mile trek down some very treacherous terrain to go to Jericho. Um, and it was an opportunity for people to indeed get robbed and places that uh, bad elements could hide. And, and as Jesus is telling this story, it was certainly um, understanding to the people he's telling this story to, oh, yeah, 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 we, we know that road. That's a, that's a bad one. And in the story, here's this man going down that road to Jericho, and he falls among the robbers, and he's left for half dead. And verse 31 says that, perchance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, again, I think as Jesus is telling this parable, it's like, well, the priest, right? He's a, he's a good guy. He's a Levite. He's a religious person. Right? He knows the law. He cares for people, right? But Jesus tells in the parable, he sees him, but he, you know, he passes on the other side. And understandably so. Part of the law said, or at least the pharisaical law was, you touch something unclean, uh, you become unclean. And Well, maybe this guy's dead. Why, we wouldn't want to jeopardize our role, my role as a priest. Boy, we, I, you know, so going on the other side. Likewise, verse 32, a Levite came. A Levite was one who helped the priests in the temple. So here's another, you know, spiritual elite, the, the head muckamucks of the, of the temple. Uh, he sees them, and he also passes by on the other side. Now, if you've been listening to the story, this parable, you could almost assume where Jesus is going. Okay, I get it. Okay, the priest passes him by, the Levite passes him by, you know, the head religious so-and-sos. Yeah, but, but guess who's coming next? Joe Rabinowitz, right? The, the average common Jew, the, the good old boy, the, the, the commoner. He's going to help this guy, right? And then Jesus shocks his audience by saying... It was a Samaritan. A Samaritan was on a journey and came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion on him. And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay. Shocking. Because... The people he's telling this to, the Jewish people, they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were lowlifes. They were worse than the Gentiles. They were these 
half Jew, half Gentile. They were despised by the Jew. And now Jesus makes out the guy to be a hero. He's the hero in the story. Now, the, 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 the real kicker is the next verse when Jesus says, so which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Which of these men proved to be a neighbor? What was the, what was the, leave, uh, the, uh, the lawyer's opening question? Seeking to justify himself, he says, who is my neighbor? Who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus turns the tables on him and says, no, 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 that's not the right question. The right question is, whose neighbor are you? Whose neighbor are you? Which one of these three proved to be the neighbor? And notice the man couldn't even bring himself to, to answer the Samaritan, to even use that name. Verse 37, he said, well, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Go and do the same. The lawyer seeking to justify himself. So who, who is my neighbor? Oh, no, 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 Jesus says, that's, that's not the right question. The question is, whose neighbor are you being? How are you being a neighbor? Not who is my neighbor, but whose neighbor am I? And the answer to that question is, I'm to be a neighbor to anyone whose need I see, whose need I can meet. I'm to be a neighbor to anyone who, as I walk along this journey of life, I see crumpled up in pain, whose need I see, whose need I can meet. Now, only Luke recorded this parable, as I mentioned, and Luke had been, was a traveling companion to the Apostle Paul, right? And so I have a sneaky suspicion that this Good Samaritan parable may have been on Paul's mind when he wrote Romans 13, 14, 15, certainly this passage that we want to look at. So back in Romans, Romans chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 again. Now we who are strong are to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. It's a summary principle that could be stated quite simply. We are to be other-centered is the point, not self-centered. The, the priest walked on that side. That might be a dead body. I don't want to jeopardize my livelihood. The Levite passed on the other side. Oh, good night. I don't want to be caught near a dead thing. But it was the Samaritan who was other-centered, who saw the need. How can I meet the need? He was the neighbor. And Paul is saying in this passage, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are weaker. It's a very strong command. In fact, if you've got an English Standard Version, it says that we who are strong are, have an obligation. We ought to. It doesn't say it's not a suggestion. It's saying we have an obligation. It's similar to what Paul said in uh, chapter 13, verse 8, owe no man anything but to love them. We owe it to each other to love. We are under obligation to bear with the weaknesses of others. 
the concept of, of bearing with the weaknesses. It's again a word that was used last, uh, the last chapter, chapter 14, verse 1. To come alongside, to share the load, to help, to be an encouragement, to be a friend, to welcome into one's circle of friendship. Don't push people aside. Don't walk on the other side. But we ought to bear, we, we, we ought to come alongside and see that hurting person. We come alongside, we, we lift them up, we encourage them, we, we, we bear with them. We are other-centered and not self-centered, which involves, by the way, an active engagement, an active involvement. It involves risk, it involves vulnerability, it involves time, sacrifice, cost. A little blood, sweat, and tears, active involvement. Here at Fellowship Bible Church, we call it relational discipleship, connecting with people, pouring into each other's lives, relational discipleship. It's what Paul Tripp in his book that we've used here many times, his book entitled Instruments in the Hands of a Redeemer. We are to be an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer, to be used to to bear up, to, to, to lighten the load, to encourage, to, to welcome, receive into our circle of friendship. Verse 2 says, and each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Now, now Paul is not talking about someone who might be very fleshly and sinful and, well, you just got to bear with them. You know, that's just who they are. And uh, so, you know, just please them or they'll get riled up, you know. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's why he adds that little phrase, for their edification. What does this person really need? What's the ultimate need? The ultimate need is, 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 is growth in their spiritual life. It, it's, a, it's a more intimate encounter with the living God. You who are stronger, then you bear with them. You bring them into your circle of encouragement, of, of friendship, so that you can build them up in their faith. That's what it means to please them for their good, for their edification. Paul didn't say we are just to endure people. Yeah, that's, that's just the way, you know, that's just, just the way Joe is. Or that's just the way, you know, Sally is. We're not just to endure people. We are to edify people, encourage them in their walk, with the Lord. There's a ditch on either side, obviously. Some people are always confronting. Hey, Mark, I noticed that you, oh, would you just shut up? I'm so sick and tired of you telling me where I'm falling, you know. And sometimes people just can do that a little bit too much because ultimately they're more concerned of how I'm responding and acting and impacting their life. But there's the ditch on the other side where we, we say nothing. We just let it slip. We never confront, we never say anything because um, we just believe that, well, God wants us to endure with people. No, He wants us to edify people, get involved in people's lives, and come alongside and, and relationally involve yourself for the purpose of edification. That's the key. By the way, a person who does that is a person who's walking by the power of the Holy Spirit because in and of ourselves, will tend to the either ditch. In and of ourselves, we want to avoid or we want to jump on people and tell them what a pain in the rear end they are. 
It's the Holy Spirit that comes alongside. And He can guide us. We, as it says in the previous chapter, we put on Jesus Christ. We make no provisions for our flesh. And we engage people in love. We bear with one another. It's our obligation. We are obligated to do this within the body of Christ, to come alongside and encourage each other for the edification. Now, Paul continues in this passage and says, let me give you this supreme example of this. Look at verse 3. He says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Paul it's like he says, for even, even Christ. I mean, of, of, of all people who you would think could have justified pleasing themselves, it would have been God. I mean, he has a right. He's God. Every, everybody ought to please him. But even Christ did not please himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, that's from Psalm 69. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's the most quoted psalm related to Jesus in the New Testament. Flip flip back there just real quickly. Psalm 69. Psalm 69. That's a messianic psalm. The psalm of David with messianic implications. Psalm 69, verse 1. You'll, you, you'll be able to pick out these messianic overtones. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire and there's no foothold. I've come into, into deep waters and the flood overflows me. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. And those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What did I not steal? I then have to restore. Oh God, it is you who knows my folly, my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have become a reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers, an alien to my mother's son, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Do you see the messianic overtones? Who said that? Jesus did, right? The zeal for your house has consumed me as he, as he cleared out the temple. And the reproaches, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Verse 10, when I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I am the song of the drunkards. Verse 20, jump down. Reproach has broken my heart. I am so sick. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. I looked for comforters, but I found none. Verse 21, they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Messianic psalm. Our Lord on the cross, suffering, dying in agony. The reproaches of those who reproach you, they fell upon me. He who knew no sin became sin. And he suffered and he bled and he died. Even Christ did not please himself. 
But in love, he came into our world and he took on humanity and he took our place on the cross. He died for us. Weaker Christians can be very critical, can be very spiteful, can be very hard to deal with. They can reproach you. They can be antagonistic, and they can be the last people we would want to be with. Ah, but the Good Samaritan didn't pass by on the other side. We are called to follow the example of Christ. No matter how badly we are treated, no matter how badly we're criticized, no matter how difficult it is to deal with that person, we come along them to edify them, to encourage them, to bear with them. This is true servanthood. Verse 4, Paul adds this in Romans 15. For whatever was written in earlier times, it was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. You know, when we start looking at people, good night is easier to get discouraged. You look at the, the unfinished work of God, the, the person lying there in the heap on that Jericho road who's bloodied and battered by life and maybe by their own sinful choices. We look at people that could be very discouraging, but for this reason, it was written in earlier times for our instruction so that through the Scriptures we find perseverance and encouragement. Kind of harkens back to chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the Word of God. It's through focusing on the Scriptures, on what who God is, what God has done for us, upon, about His love, about His grace. It's focusing on the, the good news, the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ, the good Samaritan, came along our road and, and bore us up and carried us up and for free, gratis, grace, not expecting a dime in return. He loved us to wholeness, to spiritual health, giving us a free gift of eternal life in heaven. We find encouragement in the Scriptures for perseverance and endurance and hope. But, but it's more than that. For the source of power is we learn from the Scriptures. We see in the Scriptures God's love and grace for us. But then look at verse 5. The source of power. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant to you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. How is it possible to, to be that kind of a person? To be that kind of an of a other-centered and not a self-centered type of a, of, of a believer of the family of God? Well, it's impossible in our own strength. Everything within me says, no, I want nothing to do with them. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have strength to do this. But now, the God who gives perseverance and encouragement. They grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. It's a supernatural work of God. He's the one who gives it. We can't generate it in ourselves. We're going on that road, that Jericho road. We hear the cries, the hurts, the pains of other people, and everything within us would want to go on the other side. But 
But we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we make no provisions for the flesh and we simply say, Lord, I don't want to go there and I, I, I have nothing to offer. And he all of a sudden comes along and he infuses us with the strength, with the perseverance, with the, the gritty endurance, the hope to express that kind of forbearing love, that, that edification. God does that work within us. It's a supernatural work according to Christ Jesus, the standard that he sets. And why? For what purpose? Verse 6, so that, Paul is such a logical writer, why do we do this? Why should we care about the, 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 the needs of others? So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The singular purpose. Loving Christian unity, involvement in each other's lives is for a singular purpose, and that is that God is glorified. It's why we've been created We've been created to honor and glorify Him, that, that people will point to Him because He's giving us the strength to do this. And the one who gives is the one who gets the glory. And so God is glorified in this, and that's the ultimate purpose for why we have been created. Real quickly, the book, next book over, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, very similar thoughts, almost identical thoughts, 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Yep, yeah, you, you go ahead. You can have that can of beer after a hot day mowing the yard. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Identical language, right? Verse 25, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, all it contains. And if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, well, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Woohoo! You mean I don't have to worry about something that's been offered to some pagan temple? You mean I can go and have, actually have that prime rib and enjoy it? Of course! The earth is the Lord's and the, all it contains. Go ahead! Ecclesiastes says, have a blast while you last. <laughs> and don't worry about conscience sake, because it's the Lord's. However, we saw this last week, verse 28, but if anyone says to you, any fellow believer says to you, this meat, uh, it's sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. Don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I, I give thanks? But is it edifying my neighbor? And so the principle is verse 31, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Lord, this, will this bring you glory? I would love to have that stake. But, but will this bring you glory? If I, if I did this action, if I acted this way, I'm perfectly 
free in Christ to do it, but, but will it edify? Will it bring glory? Will it edify others? Will it bring glory to your name? Because, Father, wh whatever I'm to do in this life, it's to honor and glorify you. I have been bought with a price. You went to the cross, Lord Jesus. You paid for my sins. I owe it all to you. Will this glorify your name? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. It's a singular purpose for why we breathe here on earth. Verse 7, back in Romans 15, he comes back to the summary principle, therefore. He sums it all up, packages it nice and neatly, puts a bow on it and says it this way, accept one another, receive one another. Accept one another. Receive one another. That's the bottom line. Just as Christ received us, just as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. Receive, accept. Bring people into that circle of fellowship. Bear one another's. Listen to the cries of someone. They might be in that heap that bloody heap left for dead, maybe because of their own stupid choices, maybe had nothing to do with their choices, and they're hurting, and they're there along that road of life. Receive them, accept them. I, I haven't done this for a long time, so um, I'm going I'm to get Danny and Jose. Can you, I'm sorry about the camera thing here, but hey, join me up here, Danny and Jose. Just, it's football season, right? Ugh. And um, and it, be, beginning of every game, there's a there's a coin toss, right? So you are over here, Danny. You are the um, opposing team. You're the guests. Jose, you're the home team, okay? And so opposing team always gets to call the coin toss. So the referee comes out, says, "I've got a coin here. There's a heads and there's a tail, right? Heads and tails. Mm -hmm. Opposing team, Danny, you call it in the air. Call it." Heads. Heads. It is heads. Would you like to receive or would you like to kick? Uh, I'll kick. You will kick. So, Jose, you will be received. And, and, and if you're down in the south, is you will re receive. <laughs> and the opposing team will, will kick. Kick and receive. Now shake hands and make it a clean game, boys. All right, thank you. Now, oh, you, you can go sit down. Now, on any given day or week, we're going to have to make a choice. A choice between receiving fellow believers in Christ or kicking them. You got yourself into this situation. Don't expect me to help you bail you out. If you would have just done what I said, you wouldn't be in this mess. Uh, I don't know them very well anyway. I don't think, I, I, I just can't add another person to my list. If someone else can help them. We make a choice. We either receive or we kick. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that we are under obligation. There's no ifs and buts about it. We are obligated as the body of Christ to come before him and say, Lord Jesus, 
my life is in your hands. You're my master. You're my Lord. I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you want me to live my life? Well, He wants us to live our life with a, with a sensitivity to those around us and a sensitivity to His Holy Spirit. This is the person. By chance, you're, you're walking on the road of life, and, and there they are. And you either walk around them or, or kick them or we receive them. We love them. Just as Christ received us. Undeserved. Without any merit of our own. In pure, unadulterated, unhypocritical, sincere, the real deal love. We come alongside and we bear with the burdens of others. Last month, Lisa and I were back in Nebraska visiting family for a few weeks. And in Omaha, Lisa's sister who lives in Omaha lives only a few blocks from, from a, a unique little community. It's a town. It has its own post office. That's actually like a little farming community right there in the middle of West Omaha, surrounded by the sprawling suburbs of Omaha, is a, is a little village, a, a self-contained town all of its own. It's called Boys Town, the village of Boys Town. 1917, Father Edward Flanagan, burdened by the, what he saw on the, the streets of Omaha, Nebraska, abandoned boys, homeless children, opened his heart opened his pocketbook and opened his home to take in the strays, the hurting boys. A year after he started Boys Town, um, there was a, a little boy who had suffered from polio. He had braces on his legs. A little boy named Howard Loomis was dropped off at his home, Flanagan's home, abandoned by his mother wanting nothing to do with this boy, and, and Father Flanagan took him in to Boys Town. Now, it was very difficult for this little boy to go up the stairs and down the stairs. Those braces were very heavy, and he struggled under it. And, and the older boys came alongside little Howard, and they'd put him on their back, and they'd help him up the stairs and down the stairs. That's, that's what they did. One day, Father Flanagan saw Reuben Granger, one of the older boys, with uh, Howard, a little Howard on his back, and said, isn't that, isn't it kind of hard, Reuben, to take care of a little Howard? And Reuben looked at the priest and he said, he ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. And Father Flanagan said, that will be our motto for Boys Town. To this day, you can go to Boys Town, Nebraska, encircled by the sprawling, uh, busy life of uh, the, the suburbs of Omaha. There in this little village, in this little town, you'll see a statue, a bronze statue with a, a boy, with a little boy on his shoulders, with braces. He ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. It's a motto for Boys Town. 
but what a great model for the church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he, he ain't heavy. She ain't heavy, Father. He, he's my brother. She's my sister in Christ. We're part of the family. This is what we do. Is there anyone in your life that God is maybe tapping you on the shoulder and saying, there they are? Did you hear them? You were tempted to pass by them, but did, did you see them? They're hurting. Oh, they might be a real pain in the rear end. <laughs> but I'll give you the power. I'll give you the strength. I'll give you the perseverance. I'll give you what it takes to endure. I'll get the glory. I'll give you the strength. But pick them up. Put them on your back. Help them. Bear their burden. Oh, I know they're weaker. Do this for me. Because I set the pace. I gave my life for you. The Good Samaritan. To love, to accept, to edify, to be involved in people's life, a relational disciple coming alongside. May I say that we are never more like Jesus? the known or characterized by that kind of involved, caring, burden-bearing love. You know, one of the great places to do that is in a small group. It's hard to do it in a big gathering. We pass each other by, and it's hard to hear the, the needs, take the time to to listen, but in a small group, that's much easier to do. I want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, in a couple of weeks, it was mentioned, we've, we have this group link, sign up, we'll, we'll try to get you involved in a small group, because there you can, we can get a little more intimate and, and be a little more attentive to people's needs. And let me just encourage you, if you're in a small group, let me encourage you, if you're a small group leader, maybe it's time to take it up a notch. You know how complacent we can become. We can, you know, do it over and over and over again. We get so familiar with the folks in the group that, you know, we, we get together, we have our prayer time, we have a little Bible study time, we, you know, we talk over the sermon or whatever it is that you do in your small group. We eat some cookies and have some iced tea and we go home, we check it off our list. And, and maybe it's time to raise it up a notch this coming new season. to bear with one another's burdens, to encourage each other in a level that maybe we've never done it before. And as we do, God will give us the strength and He'll get the glory and we'll be like Jesus. After all, isn't that why we're here on earth? Let's pray. Father, we would ask that you would accomplish your purposes and your good pleasure in our life. How we relate to each other, our, our great diversity or 
multiplicity of opinions on all sorts of different subjects, the, the, the unique collection that is called the body of Christ. This diverse family that is called upon to, with one voice, one heart, one mind, bring glory to your name by living out the life of Jesus within us, fulfilling our obligation with one another to not walk on the other side, not kick, but receive, accept each other. And again, Father, it's for your glory. This is what we ask, Father, that the world can see what it, what it really looks like to be a member of the body of Christ. For your glory, Father, I pray it. Amen.